We listened to some music together with Anthony, some of his compositions. We talked about his road becoming a composer, about beautiful things and more difficult things. Now for this last part, we're going to talk about people that helped him to go forward, about his advice for younger people and his three wishes for the classical music scene. I hope you enjoy! Exploration, inspiration, exploration, inspiration. And what I was wondering as well, like when we uh, like come back to your journey, uh, becoming composer, which were uh, the people that pushed you to go further or pushed you to make to make your dreams as a composer come true? Because um, I assume that there were maybe people in your family or your environment that weren't maybe like excited about you. Uh, playing classical music but I guess maybe you had some people that pushed you uh, like your piano teacher or other people that pushed you too yeah my my mom is actually my number one fan <laughs> so I grew up basically with my mom I would see my dad in the summertime when I went back to Virginia um, and my dad has also been a huge support in my life He's great because he's a little bit critical sometimes if I make a mistake, he's like, you made a mistake. <laughs> but, <laughs> but my mom is one of those people that just loves everything that I've ever done in my life. And he's always just clapping and cheering and attending as many events as possible. So I've been super, super blessed to have a supportive family. Um, and yeah, my family has never been um, down on my uh efforts to become a composer or a classical musician same with the my church family when i was growing up um when i started taking piano lessons and i settled on classical piano lessons they let me do recitals at their church mm -hmm. and um and they also attended all of the events that i that i did as a child growing up right and For my senior recital during my undergrad, I invited my choir to, to be a part of my recital. So I started the recital with my classical pieces, some of which are really thorny and experimental. But then the second half of the concert is like pop music and gospel that I wrote for my choir. And we had church in Boston in this concert hall. <laughs> and to this day, so many people are like still talking about that recital um, be because the church, they hired this mega bus to drive the choir from Providence to Boston. And um, I remember 
when I was picking up the food for the recital, um, uh, for the for the um, for the after part of the recital, the reception, um, I remember walking back with this tray full of sandwiches, and <laughs> and I was about to cross the street to go to my school, and I saw this giant bus, and I thought, oh, that's weird. They must have brought in some like rock band or whatnot for another event. And then I realized, no, that bus was for me. <laughs> oh, wow. It was a really special moment. So, um, so yeah, they definitely pushed me further. Um, and then, of course, my partner, he's always super supportive of, of everything that I do. I think when it comes to the more like abstract, esoteric stuff that I do, he doesn't like 100% understand it. But that's okay, because... I don't think I want to 100% understand it as well. And I don't yeah. expect like all of my audiences and people who listen to my stuff to 100% understand it. But I do expect them to just like go on a journey, whatever that journey means for them. Um, and my partner definitely has gone on a journey with my music and with my practice. <laughs> um, he is in that video where I'm playing the thumb piano as well, because my partner is also a pianist. So I wanted to write a piece for us to play together. Oh, wow. Um, and we do give concerts together as a piano forehand duo. We've given concerts in Korea and in the United States and in the Netherlands. So it's been great involving him in my practice as much as possible. Um, he's also, uh, because he's a scientist, I've created pieces based on scientific pr principles. And I've asked him quite a number of questions before writing these pieces so that's been great just having him as that resource in my life um but honestly this sounds cheesy and this may come across as sounding a little bit like egotistical but i don't mean this as egotistical um but in my lowest moments i just had to keep on telling myself like don't stop you know mm -hmm. keep, keep on creating people might not be playing your music now People might not be giving you attention right now, mm. but you cannot use this low, this low moment in your life to feel bad about yourself or to feel mm -hmm. sorry about yourself. Mm -hmm. You do have permission to get in your feelings and to sit with your feelings and to acknowledge it, but don't let the negativity consume you because that is a choice, honestly. You know, mm. giving power to negativity is a choice and that has been my drive in my lowest moments mm. you know i just have to keep on telling myself don't let negativity have any type of power in your life yeah do you think that is something you learn with age because right now i i feel uh i i'm coping also with this negativity or like depressive thoughts or um different types of things and sometimes i can manage it through making music a lot of times i just start to sing or whatever and then i'm like oh glad somebody at least understood what i said and i'm just talking to my loop station at that moment i'm just glad to, that i could get it out um but like i still have quite a lot of difficulty sometimes to uh block out the negativity or to turn this negativity um into like a creative force or into yeah and to not let myself like get eaten by it uh or getting getting um 
um, caught up in this uh, downward spiral or kind yeah. of tornado. Yeah, it definitely gets better with age and it gets better when you're in, I hate to say this, but when you're in a more comfortable financial position, mm -hmm. because then if you get a rejection from something, then you can basically say to them, that's okay, I didn't need your stupid $100 commission anyway, right? <laughs> like, I don't even know why I applied to the damn thing. But, um, but yeah, it, I like to tell younger people that your perspective and the proportion of your life is much different when you're younger than when you're older. So for instance, when you're 24 years old, four years is one-sixth of your life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But when you're 40 years old, four years is one-tenth of your life. So, so it's strange when you think of that that way, right? Like one year when you're a 10-year-old is one-tenth of your life. But one year when you're a 50-year-old is one-fiftieth of your life. So one year has much more significance when you're younger than when you're older. And when you grow up, one year, it's like nothing. But when you're younger, one year is like, it's a long time, right? You can do so much within a year. Um, so I like to tell younger people that you have to consider your long game. Um, the stuff that I was creating that like didn't get performed a lot when I was younger is all of a sudden starting to be performed quite a bit. It's taken six years, eight years, ten years, you know, for some of the, those pieces to have first performances. And then when you start to do even deeper research, a composer like Alvin Singleton, who is one of the most celebrated, awarded black composers, one of my favorite black creatives of all time, he didn't have his first orchestral piece played until he was in his 40s. I'm 36, mm. and I've had a couple of orchestral pieces being played, right? So we just have to consider that time is a thing when you're a creative, mm -hmm. and you have to be patient. As much as sometimes waiting hurts, you have to be patient. And you have to keep on going. How do you deal with, like, it's think on the long run, have patience, keep on creating. Uh, and, like, how do you deal with your insecurities if, if insecurities come up and when? Yeah, insecurities, there are so many different ways to deal with insecurities and people have their own tips and tricks. For me, <laughs> I have to say, all right, I'm one of these people that really loves horror movies because I think mm -hmm. they're really funny, you know? I feel like in horror movies, it's such an absurd manifestation of reality. Um, and all of the stuff that happens in horror movies just could never happen in reality. So when you think of it, it's actually quite hilarious. So this might sound weird when talking about insecurities, but I try to approach insecurities in the same way, right? So if someone says, wow, Anthony, that sax quartet almost over really sucked. 
All I can think of is, all right, well, now, now I have to actually think about whether or not this piece sucks. Well, what's bad about this piece? Is there, is there some counterpoint that's off? Are the proportions off? Is the journey kind of weird? Mm -hmm. mm, actually, that's quite ridiculous because I think the piece is awesome. And I think so many other people think that the piece is awesome. And it, like the people who performed it thought that the piece was awesome. And I think the piece is a really good message. So right now, my insecurities have nothing to do with reality. It's yeah. just this like ridiculous thing. So that's, that's kind of how I approach my, my insecurities. Like when I get a rejection, it takes a moment for certain rejections to become a little bit more, I guess, manageable for me. Like when I'm rejected from something big, I kind of have to stop and like rethink my life. But then I think, okay, well, all right, I've had pieces performed in over 25 countries. Mm -hmm. People are asking me to buy my scores. People are asking me for, to do podcasts. And I'm also trying to use my platform to uplift young black artists. Um, I'm helping black artists and other artists of color and other artists of different gender expressions, different races, different cultural backgrounds. And on top of that, I get to travel the world. You know what I mean? So, okay, that's just one rejection in the grand scheme of hundreds of thousands of rejections that I've already gotten that I'm going to get. So, yeah, that's fine. I'm in a good place in my life, right? Mm -hmm. like, <laughs> it's always this line of, of inquiry but but I have to I have to go through it, you know. It I have yeah. to engage and I have to sit with my feelings. I can't dismiss feelings um, because mm -hmm. we have to sit in our truths and rejection and insecurity. That's part of who we are. So yeah, yeah. And like if you have if you had that's my I think my last thing that I would want to know is. Uh, if you would have one wish today for the field of classical music or experimental music or contemporary uh, music, what would it be? One wish. Mm -hmm. hmm. Can I have about 8,000 wishes? <laughs> no. Um... <laughs> you, you can have three. Okay. Three wishes. Three wishes. <laughs> University professors teaching students, can you please teach about the significance and the importance of Black artists? Right? That's my one wish. Wish number two, especially for young ensembles and young performers, do the research and stop only playing white people. Do the research. There's amazing music out there that you're overlooking that has amazing communicative properties, not only with yourself, that make well, that will make you grow as an artist and as an ensemble, but also will make your audiences grow. Wish number two. And wish number three, I wanna say that one day when, when things become much more integrated and much more equitable, I hope everyone involved in this world will have the fearlessness and the courage mm. to acknowledge the injustice that's been done in a major way 
and work towards rectifying this injustice in as honest of a way as possible and as creative of a way as possible because <laughs> i feel like there is some major creativity that can happen when we start to acknowledge the injustice of the past Wow. Thank you so much, Anthony, for everything. Thank you so much for just uh, already opening yourself up to uh, to this podcast. And thank you for being the first Black Muse. Um, and yeah, I think I have to just let it all sink in. I've heard so many things that are all valuable. Mm. Um, I think also, and I hope at least that other people who will listen to this podcast will have the same feeling that they will learn about new, uh, new or already older um, uh, composers or artists and new way of looking of at things and um, new uh, concepts like divergent theater and uh, yes. contemporary <laughs> practices. But yeah, again, thank you so, 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 so much. I'm really, truly, deeply grateful for you uh, opening up and just very uh, quickly accepting to uh, doing this podcast conversation with me. Yeah, um, my pleasure. Uh, yeah, thank so you for I, having me. It's my uh, pleasure. Yeah, we are so totally going to meet. It's like not a question. Yeah, I'm looking <laughs> forward to it. Thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you. Bye bye. Ciao, à tout à l'heure. À la prochaine. The first episode is over, so I hope to see you and to hear you very soon. Make sure that you stay in touch on social media. I'm on Instagram, heel underscore estate, or you can find the podcast on uh, my Buzzsprout page, which is called Black Muses Podcast. Surely this was the first episode on classical music, but we're not, this is just a beginning. Uh, next episode will be on uh, rock music, on new age music. So make sure to stay tuned to know uh, when next episodes will drop. Merci beaucoup. Je vous aime. A bientôt. Black Muses.